0: Thanks for tuning in to the IGM podcast. We're so glad you've decided to explore God's word with us. We look forward to connecting with you in email at infointegritygm.com or online at our website, www.integritygm.com. We hope this podcast encourages you to grow in the knowledge of God through his word. Be blessed.
1: Greetings to everyone and blessings in the name of Yeshua, the Messiah, in the name of Jesus, the Christ. Today we're going to be looking at chapter 3 of Jacob, of James. We're going to be looking at this whole chapter and see what God is saying through Jacob, sometimes we pronounce his name James, to the 12 tribes scattered abroad. He is writing as a Jewish man that believes in Jesus as the Messiah, who is his half-brother, and he's writing to Jews that have been scattered And I believe that this is happening after Acts chapter 8, when the church in Jerusalem was persecuted, and they started going after believers. And it says in Acts chapter 8, and Yoni is in the studio with me again today, and he read this two podcasts ago. He read how these believers were scattered, and they went to the region of Judea and Samaria. But where they went, they went preaching the word of God. And the book of Acts is 30 to 35 years of the acts of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit is using everyone, not just the apostles, not just the deacons that were chosen in Jerusalem, but He's using everybody that that God is using to bring forth this great commission to go into all the world from Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Shortly after that persecution, the apostles started to filter out of Jerusalem. Initially, they stayed in the city. But later on in the book of Acts, we see them going out. And historically, we see them going out and taking this gospel to Jews and to Gentiles as well. Jacob stays in the city of Jerusalem. Josephus writes about Jacob. Jacob becomes a very important person within the early church. In fact, when we get to Acts chapter 15, he is actually the person leading the council. Not Peter, not Paul, not Barnabas. It is actually Jacob who is the one that makes the final decision. And so we look at this important figure, Jacob, who is mentioned by the early church fathers on several occasions as the author of this letter, as he's taking and writing to the twelve tribes scattered abroad, who are believers, and they were scattered because of this persecution in Jerusalem. And he begins with, Count it all joy when you encounter various trials and tribulations. And he starts speaking to these persecuted Jewish believers. Now again, I want to remind you, this is probably before the time frame that the term Christian is even being used to describe these Jewish believers. That doesn't happen until Acts chapter 11. It was at Antioch that the disciples were first called Christians. I'm going to explain again because the anointed one in the Greek language is Christ. In the Hebrew language, it's Messiah. And at Antioch, historically, we know they were, it was a mocking term that the people outside of the assembly were calling these people that believe in the anointed one, the Christ, they were calling them Christians. He's writing to Jews that believe in Yeshua, probably before the time of Christian, the name Christian becoming popular or even being used for Jewish believers. They were known as Jews who followed the way. They were known as Galileans. Historically, they were known as Nazarenes because Yeshua was from Nazareth. And they were being persecuted because of their faith in Jesus. And now James is writing to them And He's not writing to them a sympathy letter. Mm -hmm. He's writing to them to get strong Mm -hmm. and look at your personal conduct. Chapter one, chapter two, in these two chapters, look at how much of the material is written to a persecuted assembly, church, that's being scattered about getting things right within your own heart, getting the right mentality of how you need to think not compromising your walk with the Lord, not showing favoritism for people that are wealthy over those that are poor. He's really focusing on them and not their outward circumstances, but their inward life and walk with the Lord that reflects upon how that they live. And we're going to see this in chapter 3. Now again, I mentioned that Yoni is in the studio with me. And again, it's a joy that I can have him here today. And Yoni, are you ready for this today? I'm I'm, I'm excited to get into this together. (laughs) And I want to look at it, and I want us to look at it not just skimming over things, but I want us to look at really from original intent what Jacob is saying to these persecuted believers. And I want to start in verse 1. Let not many of you become teachers... My brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. And I want to stop there with this first statement because it is so relevant for the Western culture today, especially here in America where we're speaking from this nation. America was founded on rugged individualism. Everybody wants to be a leader. Everybody wants to be a teacher. Everybody wants to be able to preach. Everybody wants to have their voice heard. In fact, in most churches today, that they don't even want a teacher. They want a facilitator so everyone has an equal voice. Hmm. Now, that's not scriptural. Hmm. And it really, really bothers people when I say that. I don't even like to go into a Bible study unless there is someone there that knows and has dedicated their life to teach the Word of God, and they have studied to show themselves approved, and they've come prepared, and they're ready to teach the Word of God from original intent.
2: Mm.
1: I didn't go there to hear everybody's opinion, and everybody's opinion is equal. Mm. That's the culture that we live in today. Well, I want to have an equal voice in marriage in family, in church, in business. We don't want to have one person teaching us what to do, but we want to have everybody working it themselves and having an equal voice, and we just do everything together. What happens with that is chaos starts to take place, whether it's in the congregation, in the family, in the marriage. I don't want to get off track here, but I want you to look at what Jacob says here, and let me... Read it one more time, and I really want us to understand this. Let not many of you become teachers, my brethren, knowing that as such we will incur a stricter judgment. There is accountability for what we teach people concerning the things of God. It is not a game. It's not trying to see if we understand it or not. When we say this is what God is saying, we had better know that this is the Word of God. And people need to treat teaching, and we teach by speaking the tongue. This is going to be the whole chapter here. We speak, and it better represent the Word of God. It Mm -hmm. better not represent the things of the world. And so we're living in a culture that everyone wants to teach. And you need to think about that. Before you open up your mouth, And say, this is what it means to me. What did you study? Is it consistent through God's Word? Is this something that represents the character of God? Has God called you to be a teacher? Think about that. One of the ministry gifts that God gives to the church that Paul mentions, he gives apostles, prophets, evangelists, and then pastor-teacher. It's not actually pastor and teacher, but it's a shepherd-teacher. You cannot be a shepherd, a pastor, unless you're able to teach the Word of God. And so we look at this, has God called you to do this? Have you dedicated your life to the Word of God? Most people just show up and they just want to teach. Mm -hmm. And the nonsense that comes about in some of these groups, that everybody's going a different direction, but God's Word is going in a single direction. It's a warning And when we began to teach and we began to say, well, I want to speak and I want to do this and I want to do that, those words can have an impact upon the body. There is a stricter judgment for those that teach. Now look at the warning at the beginning. Let not many of you talking to these scattered Jewish believers become what? Teachers. Now, American culture, we all want to be teachers, We all want to be heard. We all want to influence others. We all want to stand up. And some of the best teachers are ones that know how to keep their mouth shut many times. And they know the right time in which to speak. It's not a glorified position that people should be saying, oh, I want to teach. But they should think about it with a holy understanding that every time that I open up God's word and I begin to speak and I begin to represent God in His kingdom, it better represent His kingdom. Mm. Otherwise, it's going to do a lot of damage within the body. Yeah. Now, for a younger generation, and Yoni, you come from a younger generation. What I'm saying will get many of the younger generation upset.
2: Well, it's kind of it's kind of. Uh convicting in a way hearing you say that because it's, I think it's, I've seen that so much and I've seen that in even Bible studies that I've led where I've, I've, I've allowed myself to be more of a facilitator. I think there's more of this concept of, of you want everyone to, to, to feel like they're making it their own. But, but on the other hand, I think we fall short because we're not necessarily, there's, it seems like through this, there's this, there is this, this, this burden of accountability for the teachers will be held accountable for what gets taught. So anyway, it's just really interesting. And, 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 I, and I never really looked at this passage in light of how our current culture really takes it. Because you're, you're, I think you're dead on. Everyone just assumes that they're supposed to be a teacher, even if they don't know what they're talking about. And, and, and even in Bible studies that maybe even you're facilitating, there's this, there's this pressure to not tell anyone that they're wrong. Um, and so trying to understand, you know, manage that environments. It's it's tricky. So anyways, it's very interesting and and a a perspective
1: I haven't taken on that before. And I would take it even one step higher. We feel in this culture, we have the right to teach. Mm. Even if we don't even have the credibility Mm. behind us, we'll have a 15-year-old kid telling others what is right and what is wrong, Mm. telling parents where you're wrong And we see this uh, magnified when you get into media today within Western culture, that the kids are always right Mm. over the mom. The mom is always right over the father. Anybody can speak, and we have a right to speak. I praise God we live in a culture that we have a right to speak. That doesn't mean what I speak is good stuff. So within the body... Many people do not see this third chapter. And remember, there's not a true chapter here. That's added later in the context of teaching within the body. Mm -hmm. We always see this as just however we use the tongue. The opening statement here is a warning for those who teach. How do we teach? We have to speak. What do we use to speak? It is our tongue. Mm -hmm. And if our tongue is not representing God, it can do a lot of destruction. And that's what we're seeing many times as the wrong person comes into a congregation, part of a body, and they're given the avenue to teach. They do not have that calling. They haven't dedicated their lives to the Word of God. They're not serious about it. They do not walk humbly before God. There's an arrogance and there's pridefulness within their lives, and you watch the damage that takes place within that congregation. Hmm. So this is the context, the flow of thought. Let me read well, verse 1 one more time, but go ahead, Yoni. I was going to say, I think there's
2: also kind of a neat second side to this that I think is an assumption that I think we, maybe we in the Western church, but maybe in the younger church as well, we assume that the only way to really share your faith or to really live out your faith is as a teacher. And this kind of also flies in the face of that. You know, it's, you know, you think, uh, you know, you graduate high school, what's next? I guess college is next. And what's next? You do that. And so you, we, we tend to think that you become a Christian. Well, what's next? Well, you become a teacher of Christ. But, but this is clearly shows that that's not true. There's, there's, there's different, many different ways that we can live out our faith. Teaching is just a small subset of that. And, 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 and I guess, because otherwise he'd be saying, I don't want any of you to advance in your faith. That's not what he's saying.
1: Yes, I I agree with you. And we see the ultimate expression of our faith as, oh, I'm teaching something sometimes. We should see the ultimate expression of our faith through how we live for God. Mm. And we are teaching by the way that we live. Here, we're teaching in the context of our our tongue, speaking Mm. here. And he's bringing a warning from the very beginning. There's a greater judgment for those that teach. So you better take it serious, because your tongue can do a lot of destruction. And I I agree with you fully. It's not the greatest expression. It's not something that everybody should be teaching. Mm -hmm. They need to have credibility in their own life. They need to have studied... They need to have a life that is lived for God, that's living with inside of them, that when they speak the words, it's not just a class, but it's a reflection of what God is doing in their lives. And the principles of God's Word are evident, and the fruit of the Spirit is there within their lives. And it's also one of the ministry gifts that God gives to the church. He called some, not all, to be apostles. Not everybody's apostles. He called some to be prophets, some to be evangelists, mm-hmm. some to be pastor teachers. And I'll be very direct with you. I go into congregation after congregation, and I sit within small groups or even within services. And it's very hard today in a Western culture to find someone that is really, really teaching God's word. Mm-hmm. So we've got to take it more seriously than we're taking it right now. I think it's coming out of a flippant culture that everybody can teach. Mm -hmm. And so everyone's going to try to develop a sermon, rhyming words or whatever it is, acronyms, whatever is going on. And we need people that can teach the principles of God's Word. So a, a strict warning at the beginning as he starts talking about the tongue. Let's continue. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to bridle the whole body as well. Now, if we put the bits into the horse's mouth so that they obey us, we direct the entire body as well. Look at the ships also, though they are so great and are driven by strong winds. Are still directed by a very small rudder wherever the inclination of the pilot desires. So also the tongue is a small part of the body, and yet it boasts of great things. See how great a forest is set aflame by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, the very world of iniquity. The tongue is set among our members as that which defiles the entire body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by Gehenna, by hell. Mm -hmm. For every species of beast and birds of reptiles and creatures of the sea is tamed and has been tamed by the human race, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil and full of deadly poison." fresh. Now, if we take Mm -hmm. all of these statements from the first statement that he is making about not everyone should become teachers and that there's a stricter judgment for what we teach, we can make a good assumption that there are some things that are being taught within the body, within the body of the Messiah, within the church, that is causing problems Mm Dissensions, anger, not righteous anger, fighting, quarrels, and that's what we're going to deal with as we go on through the letter. Mm. There's selfish ambition that has developed and things like that, jealousy, and probably the root of it is coming by those that are teaching or a person that is teaching that is not teaching God's Word, Mm. and it's setting the whole ship on fire. And all the members of the body is being affected by this. Now, most people have looked at this chapter and they've never seen it in this way hmm. because they jump over this first statement and then they just move on to a different context. But it's a flow of thought about the tongue and how it can set a whole forest on fire by just a little spark. Hmm. And so as we teach the Word of God, as we look at the Word of God, we have to be so careful of what we speak. Jacob is not talking about fear. God does not give us a spirit of fear, but of power, love, and a sound mind. Paul talks about that. But we need to be humble before our God. We need to be contrite of spirit And we need to tremble at the Word of God. That's what Isaiah says, that when we bring forth God's Word, we're representing God, His kingdom, His Word. And we're bringing the right words that represent God and who He is. And if we're coming and just speaking nonsense and what represents us, and if we're not able to tame our tongue, in fact, it's impossible in the natural Who can tame the tongue? But if we do not rely upon God as we teach, even in this podcast, as we are teaching, if we're not representing God, we can do a lot of damage within the body. This is the whole flow of thought that is taking place. So what comes out of our mouth cannot be one thing one day and something else on the other day. We're praising God here, but over here we're cursing men. This should not be. This is not how the body works. This is not how the tongue should operate within the body. Can a fig tree, my brethren, produce olives, or a vine produce figs, nor can salt water produce fresh? So what is coming out of our mouth is represented by what's in our heart. And what is in our heart and what is coming from the innermost being of who we are, we're speaking in, and if it doesn't represent God, if we don't bridle that tongue, if we don't have that tongue in control by God's Spirit, directed by God, then the damage that can be done within the body is severe. It's just that plain and that simple. Going over this passage, I kept kept getting this imagery of culture,
2: of like, like a business's culture. And I feel like I've I can see these principles at work within traditional businesses. You know, when you have a leadership, for example, that are, are conceited or selfish and they, they're not uplifting to their to their to their employees and whatnot, you can see that from the very bottom the the whole the whole the whole organization has can can be soured, can be destroyed, can become ineffective because the leadership is speaking harshly because sp- the leadership isn't speaking in a, in, a, in a truly uplifting or edifying way. And anyways, I just got this picture. You know, this, this idea that small little fire can set the whole ship ablaze, or or the 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 rudder can can move the whole ship. And you know, it just to me, if it's if if you can see that in business, how much more true is that in a church where you know even if I think maybe. You could say the doctrine that gets taught from the pulpit is necessarily accurate. If the words that are being said are sharp or cutting, or there's not necessarily portraying the character of Christ, I think you can even then see as well this 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 growth, proliferation, this spreading, of this forest, if you will, of 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 bitterness, of 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 of, of poor real doctrine, because it's not it's not just. And, and we talked in I think earlier but it's not just the matter of teaching doctrine that's good but it's 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 of being uh, of having that character of that doctrine being actually part of who you are and teaching out of that so anyways I just saw that picture because I've seen ex- real-world examples when people don't have that character how that Im- affects every single person under them and um, And and if that's true in the business world, how much more true is that in in the church where we're living out our spiritual lives?
1: I think what you're saying really represents, say, in America, the younger generation that's coming up. Hmm. And let me give you some examples. When I was growing up playing sports, our coaches yelled at us. Hmm. We loved them. They loved us. Hmm. They were great, great leaders. They were men that really pushed you to the limit Hmm. verbally, physically, but they had your best interests at hand, and we understood that. Today's generation that's coming up today has to be spoken to in a different way Hmm. from their culture. Now, I don't buy into that completely. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: I believe what is important is that we speak truth and that there's a true love Within inside of us for what we're speaking. And that comes out even if we're speaking very strong and very direct.
2: That's true. That's fair.
1: So when you look through all of the Bible, you have a variety of ways in which people are speaking. Hmm. Now, if you go back to my coaches 40 years ago and you put them in today, they wouldn't even be allowed to coach. <laughs> it's a totally different culture that is out there. I do feel this, Yoni, that some of the younger culture needs to not only be spoken to more harshly Hmm. with truth, but they've got to come out of this culture that says, well, you have to speak to me in a certain way. Hmm. Please fill my heart on that When, when I'm talking here, is that, yes, we have to be mindful of culture, but let's speak the truth in love. That is the important thing that we need to remember. And sometimes my generation only responded to harsh talk, that's what motivated us. And your generation today, you have to speak in softness to really mm-hmm. motivate them. If you speak harshly, they kind of shut down. Hmm. I call it, my wife and I call it, they look shell-shocked. You know, like <laughs> they just been hit and a bomb went off, you know, a few hundred yards away, and they don't even know what's going on. And I've seen them close in. And I think... Both generations, what is important is speak the truth in love. God will use one individual to speak this way, another individual in this way. What is important is that we're speaking the truth in love. And that can come out in many different ways. And not be bound by our culture. That's what I'm getting to. Mm. Not to be the younger generation. Do not be bound and boxed into a culture that everybody has to speak to you softly. You think John the Baptist spoke softly? Hmm. Do you think Jesus spoke softly all the time? Hmm. No, he didn't. So there has got to be the the ability, even in my own life, if a person gets up and speaks and he doesn't speak with authority, what I understand authority to be, I kind of tune that person out. Hmm. And I've got to be willing to not be boxed into that. When it said Jesus spoke with authority doesn't necessarily mean that he used a loud voice. It means he spoke without quoting scribes and rabbis from the past. Mm -hmm. He didn't say, well, this is what Hillel said or this is what Shammai said. He said, this is what God is saying. This is the word of God. And he spoke with authority. Sometimes that was softly. Sometimes that was harshly. And so both of our cultures, I believe, doesn't need to be boxed in to a certain way. But you and I need to speak the truth in love. And what we speak needs to represent God.
2: Hmm.
1: Now, when I follow through with this and you look at chapter 4, and we're going to continue here, you'll see that this tongue that represents what we're speaking is a reflection of what God is doing with inside of us. And if we are not walking with God, and we're teaching, then the body that needs to know the Word of God needs to be directed in the right way as a community of faith. If we're teaching, and it doesn't represent God, the the problems that will come, whether they're teaching loudly, softly, trying to facilitate whatever it is— it will bring about problems if we're not teaching truth. Mm -hmm. That's the main thing for me, teaching Mm -hmm. the truth of God's word. Mm -hmm. Now let's look at the rest of this chapter here. Who among you is wise and understanding? Now he's talking about Jewish people scattered abroad, believers. Not all of you should be teachers, he's telling them. Who among you is wise and understanding? Let him show by his good behavior, his deeds, and the gentleness of wisdom. It's going to come about about a life, a person that lives a life of contentment, of peacefulness, of wisdom that is flowing through their life. There's gentleness, faithfulness, goodness. Now, I'm adding here to the fruit of the Spirit, because this is one of the, the fruit of the Spirit. Not fruits of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit is singular. Love, joy, peace, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. I don't know if I hit them all. But look at this statement. Who among you is wise in understanding? Let him show by his good behavior. Let him show by his fruit, I could say. His deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. This wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, and look at this word, demonic. Mm. And I want us to look at bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. Something is happening among these scattered Jewish believers and Yeshua the Messiah, where some are teaching and there must be bitter jealousy and selfish ambition. And when that exists within the hearts of people, probably those that are teaching or the teaching Mm -hmm. is causing this, then there is what? Disorder. There's chaos in every evil thing just because of this tongue. Just because someone teaching that shouldn't be teaching. All these things are arising. The whole body is set on fire. And there is disorder, confusion, and every evil thing is starting to creep up within the body because this tongue is not controlled by God. Hmm. That's how serious this is. And where there is jealousy and selfish ambition... There is disorder in every evil thing. This is natural, earthly, it is demonic.
2: Hmm.
1: I'm seeing this interesting picture from where we had
2: painted the setting with everybody kind of being pushed out of Jerusalem because of persecution and now they're scattered and some of them don't have their good, their, 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 their possessions anymore and, and people are trying to start new lives and the church is kind of in chaos in that setting, you know, you could see how maybe they come to this new city, a, a gathering of of believers, and there had previously probably been a very clear power structure, if you will, yes. within the body. You know, with with the the original, the, the early church fathers in Jerusalem and all this other stuff. Well, the the apostles and the apostles. Yes. Yeah, but but now in this mm-hmm. new city there isn't, and so maybe there's a lot of this. Oh well, maybe I should be the teacher, or maybe I should be the teacher, and 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 in that kind of setting, I think. You can, you can clearly see whether it's where there's a possibility for people to say, you know, feel jealous or feel, I want to be, be the leader. I want to be the person who calls the shots or whatever it is. And, uh, and, and so anyways, in that setting, I could see how this could all kind of really play out.
1: Yes, because remember scripturally, the apostles remained in Jerusalem mm. initially. Now, we don't know how long that that took place the one that's going after them is shaul paul mm-hmm. and he's going after them to find them and to and to bring them back to jerusalem and put them on trial mm-hmm. so i think you're exactly right historically as you're looking at this picture people are stepping up and saying this is what we should do and they're the ones wanting to lead and the ones wanting to teach and the ones that want to be the leaders and to guide mm-hmm. Every group's got to have a leader. Someone's mm-hmm. going to step up and start leading, and there's probably could be. I don't like to teach with assumptions, yeah. but there could be those fighting for the ability to lead. Yeah, and it almost seems like what, what James or Jacob is saying here
2: is check your heart, right? Should Check to see if there's jealousy in there or, bitter, or, or, or
1: some sort of ambition Very and much. not necessarily love that's leading you to do that. Yes, mm. check. And see, is there selfish ambition? Is there jealousy? If there is, then there's going to be chaos, disorder, and every evil thing. Mm. And when there is that selfish ambition and jealousy that's within a person or within the body, then it's going to be fleshly.
2: Mm.
1: It's going to be earthly. It's going to be demonic. This is not coming from God, but this is actually the spirit of the world that is coming forth, which is demonic, Mm -hmm. not representing God, and is taking hold of the body of the Messiah. And every evil thing is taking place Mm. because of teaching, because of a person or persons getting up and teaching that should not be teaching. So it's not just going back what you said earlier. It's not just what we're saying, but it's where it's coming from, mm-hmm. what is the motive. Mm-hmm. And if the motive is not right, then what we're saying is going to be tainted with things that don't represent God. Mm-hmm. And it may start off with something little and grow into something big. Yeah. But one thing I think that we can assume that there is chaos and disorder that's happening because of teaching from a wrong motive. Mm -hmm. When we get into chapter four, we're going to see this. Even in their prayer life, some of you are praying and not receiving because you're asking with wrong motives. Mm. So Jacob is really, again, centering in on their personal behavior, but he's going a step further here and he's looking at what's causing the wrong behavior you've got to look with inside of you. Mm. Selfish ambition goes against everything that represents yeshua the messiah he humbled himself even to the point of death death on a cross everything about yeshua's life was to deny himself his rights his authority he is the son of god the messiah Yet he came for the purpose to be bound and to be put on a cross as a substitutional sacrifice for our sins. Hmm. How are we disciples of Yeshua? We deny ourselves, we take up our own cross, and we follow him. That's the first step of discipleship. That's not the end. That's what Jesus taught from the beginning, See, in our culture, they're starting to teach, well, let's just bring a non-offensive message to people. Let's get them into the church. Let's not Mm -hmm. preach heavy teaching or doctrine to them. Let's just love them, which is defined as tolerance. Bring them in and slowly down the road, discipleship, they'll get less self-centered and more Christ-centered. The problem is, Jesus started that work from the beginning. You want to be my disciples. You want to follow me. Whoever does not hate his own father and mother and his, his children and his wife and even his own life, if he does not deny himself, take up his own cross, you cannot be my disciple. Amen. And so what we're seeing here is in our culture, Western culture, evangelism and discipleship that's focused on the individual, and it actually builds selfish ambition. Every song that we sing, every message that is preached, every small group which is taught, we don't want to offend them. We want to build them up. Build them up what? In which way? Build them up so they feel great about themselves. Build them up so they can fulfill their destinies. Build them up so that they can have a greater career. Where God is saying, you need to die, hmm. Jesus is saying, you need to die. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ and I no longer live, but it's Christ who lives within me. In this life that I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, the one who loved me and gave up his life for me. It's about dying. It's not about me. It's not about, I don't even like to go into a service where the songs are about me. Mm -hmm. I want it to be about him. I wanted to be about serving Him, committing my life to Him. I'm there to minister unto the Lord, mm-hmm. not for ministry to myself. Most people go into a church today, it's all I, I'm here today and I want to see how the church is going to minister to me. Yeah. Yoni, if you look back into the Word of God, everything in God's Word was about ministry unto God the tabernacle, the temple, the assemblies. The gathering together, it was all for God's glory. Minister to God, minister to others, and I always come last. I like to say it this way, I don't even exist. Mm -hmm. This selfish ambition within the body is me. I want to teach. I want to have my way. I want to give direction. I want to be a leader. That's all coming from selfish ambition that creates jealousy. What's behind that is demonic and every evil thing will exist within the body. Remember that he's talking within the context of the body, teaching within the body, the members of the body. When this takes place, you know that this is not of God. What I'm saying is selfish ambition, self-centeredness has to get out of the church. Mm -hmm. It is not about me. This church does not exist for me. It is not for ministry unto my life. We come together corporately to minister unto the Lord. Acts mm-hmm. chapter 13, As they were ministering unto the Lord, the Holy Spirit spoke, Set apart for me Barnabas and Shaul for the work which I have called them, as they were mm-hmm. ministering unto the Lord. So it wasn't about them. And that can creep in so quickly that, within the body, especially a persecuted body of believers, look at me, look at what I need, look at what I lost. I lost more than what you lost. And look at my situation. And you all should be ministering to us more than you're ministering to the others physically. And those kind of things can creep up. And it should be, let's come together, let's glorify God, and let's together as a body, one family, do something for God's glory. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I see, you know,
2: in the midst of that, too, I think uh, it looks like Jacob's really hitting the heart of that, you know, because I, I can see people being like, well, you know, I know so much and I'm so skilled and, I, and, I, and I'm so mature in my faith. But, but Jacob's response is just clear as day right here in verse 13. Who among you is wise and understanding? I mean, you, it's almost like you don't have to go out there and teach just because you're wise and understanding. Let him show his good behavior by his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. Yeah.
1: Let him teach by his life. Yeah. Let that come forth. Yeah. Yes. Don't, don't feel this overwhelming need to be in the
2: spotlight or to be the leader or to, be, to make things about, your, about you. Maybe even, maybe, maybe even not this intentional power grab where you're like, oh, I, wanna be, I, I want people to like me. But because the, the lies of the devil can be much more subtle than that.
1: Yes. Yes, and and just some insight that I have had through the years. It's not insight, it's just basic common biblical understanding. Everyone that was wanting to teach was very vocal about it many times was not the right person. Mm. But the person that I really wanted to teach was the one that was cleaning the floors in the back. Mm. The one that was stacking the chairs the one that was doing things quietly, the ones that was building up the body by their life. Mm. Those were individuals that had learned the principles of God's Word. And those were the ones that I saw, that's who I want, to be modeling and teaching our children. Mm. That's an individual that I want teaching our men the ones that were serving, and through their behavior, you could see the principles of God's Word alive. But the individuals that came up and said, you know, I've taught for these many years, and I have a background in this, and I have a degree over <laughs> here, and all these kind of things, I would just sit back and I'd say, praise God for all of those things. But I would really take my time before I would ever allow them to teach, hmm. because there was a pridefulness in their heart that I didn't want to see demonstrated within the body. i heard this neat picture
2: uh, from this pastor, actually from Alabama, but he said, uh, he said there's a man out there who says, I want to go to the, the jungles of the Amazon and I want to preach to an unreached people group. And then there's a man who's much more spiritually mature who says, I want to carry that guy's luggage.
1: Yes. Yeah. Yes, I want to be a servant. Yeah. And that's the goal of all of us, is to be servants. Well done, thy good and faithful servant. Yeah. That's the greatest honor, is to be understood that we are a servant. And Yeshua, the Messiah, is the suffering servant. He is the servant of Israel. And the greatest in the kingdom, Jesus says, is a servant. Mm-hmm. And he says, if you want to be number one, you must become a slave. Mm-hmm just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to lay down His life as a ransom for many. Hmm. That's the goal of all of us. And that is a person that's able to bring forth good things within the body by when they speak. And you know when they speak, their words are going to be chosen carefully, and they're going to represent God. Now this last verse, verse 18, and the seed whose fruit is righteousness. You plant a seed in the ground, and the fruit that comes up is righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. These are the individuals that speak the things of God, that's coming from their lives, coming from good motives, coming in a way that's not causing chaos, but bringing the body together not just because of their tongue, but because of their personal conduct as believers. And it's bringing forth righteousness, right living, things that honor God. And it is sown in peace by those who make peace. They are individuals that are not out for self-glorification, not selfish ambition, but the peace of God is in their lives. The peace of God that they teach is coming forth within the body. And instead of disorder, you have order and you have unity in the body of Christ. Amen. I hope today that this word has challenged you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray that we will live lives that honor you, that your peace will abide within us at all times. God, take away selfish ambition and jealousy. And Lord, let us not be self-centered, but let us be centered upon you through your Messiah. And Heavenly Father, let us deny ourselves, take up our own cross, and let us follow the way, the truth, and the life. Yeshua is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to you except through Him. Heavenly Father, let us be people that are gentle in spirit. Let us be individuals that when we speak, it's a reflection of our heart. And God, however you want to use us, use us. Use us for your glory. You are the potter, we are the clay. Mold us and shape within us something that is that glorifies you and, and brings forth the kingdom. Lord, we pray. And Heavenly Father, let us be a vessel willing to be used by you. Thank you, God, for your word. Thank you, Lord, for speaking to us today. In Yeshua's name we pray. Amen. Amen.
0: If you'd like to learn more about IGM or have any questions about this podcast, feel free to reach out to us at info at and connect with us on Instagram at integrity underscore global and Facebook at Integrity Global Missions. If you like our podcast, please share it and leave a review. Thank you for listening. Have a blessed day.